When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Celtics Beat. With me, Nick Gelso from CLNS Radio. My name is Jared Weiss. We've got a great show for you. We're going to be joined by Eddie Johnson, Phoenix Suns broadcaster for Fox Sports Arizona, and then Ben Watanabe, Celtics Beat writer for Nesson.com. Nick, there's so much news going on this week, it's making my head spin. It's crazy, right, Jared? Because usually, I mean, we do call it once the finals end and you know, it starts to get to silly season with the draft and free agency, but this year more than ever, we're dialed in obviously for the self, the circumstances of the Celtics, Celtics record. Uh, but yeah, man, crazy, crazy week. It's just incredible. So where we think maybe we're going to get a break, Jared Weiss, your locker and Celtics reporter, you ain't getting no break this summer, bro. It's going to be a while until there's a break. I mean, you look at just all the rumors ahead of the draft and the draft happens and you got to deal with the fallout then the summer league. It's it's going to be probably not until August that things really calm down with silly season here. So there's there's going to be a lot going on, and we're going to have Celtics Speak going every Saturday at 2 o'clock to cover everything there. And, of course, CLNS Radio has all the Celtics coverage you could possibly want. Uh, but just to make things extra special for you, NBA Draft Night, we're going to have a special edition of the show live on the air, just like we did with the lottery Rich Conte and Calvin Chamberlain will be hosting. I will be live at Celtics headquarters. I'll be calling in. Matt Rury will be live at the Boston Celtics uh, draft party at the Garden. There's going to be so much going on that night. Nick, tell us more about it. Oh, dude, you want to talk about the hub of activity. It is CLNS Radio and Celtics blog via the Garden Report. Uh, It's going to be a blaze on Thursday uh, June 26th, yes, we're all going to be tuned in to see what Danny Ainge decides to do. But, Jared, big news, CLNS Radio is going to have a draft viewing party at Marriott Renaissance, who Marriott Renaissance and Stitcher, as everybody knows, were syndicated on Stitcher as well, which is the uh, iOS and Android app for podcasting. But anyway, Jared, on the 26th, Marriott Renaissance Boston Waterfront Property 
we are hosting an NBA draft viewing party there. So CLNS Radio and Beats and Eats. Yes, Ty Ray is flying in from the West Coast. I'm flying up to Boston for the week. You're going to be calling in via Skype to the draft party, and it's going to be at the hotel. There is going to be free complimentary small plates, which basically appetizers, craft beers, and Celtics-themed drink specials. Ty Ray and I are going to be hosting the event. As I said, Jared, you'll be giving us a, air quote, via satellite report from draft headquarters to uh, our viewing party at Marriott. So, folks, really, we want everybody that listens to Celtics Beat and CLNS Radio to join us at the CLNS Radio Beats and Eats draft party at Marriott Renaissance. It's free, folks. All you need to go to is renhotels.com. That's R-E-N as in Renaissance. Hotels.com slash events. RSVP there. It costs you nothing. And you can watch the draft, consume our coverage, including Jared's coverage from the Garden, for free from the Renaissance Hotel Boston Waterfront pro- uh, property, which is located right by Fenway. Huge news, Jared. Yeah, and you know to be to be on the seaport, uh, it's it's such a beautiful area. I'm starting to get a little upset that I'm not going to be there. Actually, it sounds like a pretty well, good time. You will be there via satellite. That's true. I'll be able I'll be able to see everybody having fun. And you know, you got legal seafoods right down there, so you can get yourself a big stuffed lobster. You can come over to the draft party, watch the Celtics trade for Kevin Love, maybe trade for Carmelo Anthony, maybe draft Joel Embiid. There's a lot of possibilities that night. It's just so awesome because after all these years, CLNS Radio picks up a primary sponsor, and one of the magnitude uh, being Renaissance Hotels, great, great 157 properties worldwide. And here, Beats and Eats, which is our sister network, and CLNS are now sponsored by Marriott and Stitcher. So this event is finally where we all can meet because we've been listening to each other. You guys have been listening to my big mouth for six years, and... Uh, you come down to Marriott, it's free, it's classy, it's fun, and uh, take in the NBA draft right there in Boston by Fenway Park. So, yeah, so if you're listening to us talk right now, that means you're going to want to come to the party. So you can see yeah. my face on a big screen, you can see Nick Jelsa's face up close, get some good yeah. food, have a good time, and of course, watch and- something huge unfold, because it's going to be a huge night. Now, we we got we to gotta get into this, our first interview Larry H. Russell sat down with Eddie Johnson via internet phone, and they had a great conversation. So let's listen to that first. This is Eddie Johnson, the color commentator for the Phoenix Suns. All right, so we're here with uh, Eddie Johnson, Phoenix Suns color commentator for Fox Sports Arizona. And also, uh, Eddie, I believe you were 17 years in the NBA, if that's – am I correct? Was it 17, 18? 17. So, well, that's going to make – I think that's a record um, for the <laughs> longest the longest tenured NBA veteran that's appeared on the show. I know we've had both Barry brothers on. I believe they were they were 14, I think. 14, 15. I know it wasn't 17, but 17 is uh, certainly a record. And uh, obviously, before we get to the interview, our interview with Eddie is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection. For all your Boston sports talk, tune in every Tuesday evening on CLNS Radio at 7 p.m. with CLNS content manager Sean Backey. So, Eddie, the Suns, um, they had, to say they had a surprising season um, was certainly an understatement. Uh, this is a team that I believe they're Las Vegas. I don't want to get any, you know, any, of the, any of the gambling numbers, but their Vegas over-under win total was like 16.5, and, a half, and <laughs> they uh, exceeded that and, and then some. So was this a fluke season for the Suns, or do you think this is something they're going to be building upon here? No, it wasn't a fluke. Uh, you know, and look, no, as you're right, nobody expected the team to do that well. I mean, they, you know, they got rid of some bodies, traded March and Gortat, uh, let some guys go, uh, was going with a very young core, uh, and, you know, no one really expected them to do well. Uh, but once they started to play, once we saw that Eric Bledsoe and, and Goran Dragic could play well together, the health of Channing Fry. Then the maturation of the Morris twins. Then you pretty much kind of surmised that, you know, this team was going to be very competitive every night. And 
competitive they was. I mean, they, you know, they came to play every night and and beat some very good teams during the course of the year. Yeah, they got off to a solid start. I think I remember I I just remember I was just relaxing at the golf course, just looking at the Boston Herald one day and I saw I think that one point their record was like 11 and 9. I go, "Oh, that's not going to hold up." And I think they went on actually a big run after that and they exceeded that 16 win total by early December. Uh, who do you think was most attributed to this? Who, who do you most attribute the success of the Sun season? Was it that great backcourt? Was it the hiring of Jeff Hornacek? Who do you I mean, who do you think deserves the most credit for this, this well, season? I think any time a team uh, does something that wasn't expected, I think then it's a perfect storm. So that means there's a lot of people that came together that created the mix. And so you can say it's Jeff on the sack. You can also say it's the ability of two guards to play together in Dragic and Bledsoe. You can say the maturation of their young players. Uh, you can say the toughness of P.J. Tucker. You can say, you know, come, Channing Fry coming back healthy. So a lot of things factored in, and and they took advantage of it, I mean, just by just playing hard. And it culminated into some, some very good victories during the course of the year. Hey, what about... um? The new general manager, Ryan McDonough, obviously our Boston audience, and and we have quite an audience in Boston and the New England area, is very familiar with Ryan. I mean, not only did he used to work for the Celtics, and he was one of the top executives there under Danny Ainge for basically, I believe it was 10 years, but he's also the son of Will McDonough, who's the great football writer for the Boston Globe, who passed on, and obviously Sean's brother. And I also believe he's got another brother, Terry, who I think works works for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure, but we're very familiar with Ryan in Boston. How much credit does Ryan deserve for last season, you know, changing the culture after, what I believe, Lance Blanks with the GM for just a little bit? Well, again, I think he fits into the perfect storm. Uh, again, I don't think he felt at the beginning of the year that this team would win like they did either. Uh, but he was his job was to really set this team up for the future, and he has. I mean, he's gotten rid of some tough contracts, and now you know he has a plethora of draft picks, and then he'll have some money to spend. So I think for him, and I'm sure he would agree, that this next few years is really going to be the the measuring stick for him. You know, because ultimately you want this team to be in the playoffs. They didn't get there this year. Ultimately, you want them to compete in the later rounds of the playoffs. And so uh, I feel like, you know, the progress that he has made has been been excellent. And so now I think the tough job happens. You know, who do you mix in with this group that played so well last year? Well, there's certainly a lot of talk. Um, I, I don't want to bring up his name, but it's it's been the name that's dominated this show, and I'm it's been the name that's sort of dominated almost every NBA talk show outside of the LeBron James and the Spurs. But Kevin Love, I mean, do you see? Could you see the Suns? There was a report out earlier, I believe. I, I, I don't, I don't, I forget who I should attribute to, and I apologize for that. But I believe there was a report out earlier about the Suns making a love at making a run at Love. Do you think that it's that star player that that's what that's what the Suns need to sort of get them to that next level? Well, of course. I mean, I think, you know, not only that, but a physical presence. You know, a guy that can fit into what they do. And obviously, you know, he's a player that could do that uh, in terms of his ability to knock down three-point shots, but also get in and be physical and rebound, give them second and third chances on the glass. I mean, all those things that you would want in a player to fit in the type of offense that they run uh, would be huge. So, you know, look, every team in the league would love to have Kevin Love. So, it, you know, it's no surprise the Suns would want him or whoever else. Uh, I think the key right now is to see who can put together the best package to entertain that idea. Because right now he's still property of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He has a year left on his deal regardless. And so if they bring him back, do they face the same situation as Orlando did with Dwight Howard? Yes, but... And again, they don't want to give him away. And so it would be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it, it will be interesting because, I mean, not only do the Suns, as you mentioned, the Suns have a lot of, um, they have a lot, they have a lot of draft picks. 
and they even have some quality players. But there, it's also Phoenix, as you know. I know you live out there. It's a prime destination for these players. Warm climate, nice dry climate, although I think when you're there now it might be a little bit too warm, but they're not playing basketball this time of year. Wouldn't be warm for Kevin Love. No. <laughs> I mean, coming from that cold weather in Minnesota. <laughs> well, yeah, what were they, negative 30, I think, at one point? I think in January it was. I, uh, I mean... I mean, I live in Boston here. I was getting up every single day to do runs at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd check it was 5 degrees, 3 degrees, you know, 4 degrees. And then I would, you know, log online, log online, you know, the Drudge Report, and I would see out in Minnesota it was like negative 30, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm not going to complain. Exactly. But, yeah, no, I mean, you would think that the Suns, they're sort of quietly in this, uh, they have all these draft choices for for love. But, I mean, do you think, even if the Suns don't go after Love, which I think, I mean, I don't want to, you know, obviously talk too much about this. Even if they don't go after him, how productive was it last year that the Suns, you know, everybody going into the season thought the Suns were going to tank the season. Not tank. I mean, they, they no one really thought they had the roster to, comp- to compete with to begin with. But how productive was Jeff Hornacek and Ryan McDonough, you know, from what I've read, read where they said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this seriously. We're gonna go for it." How productive was installing that winning culture amongst these players going forward? Yeah, well, you know, it's twofold. You know, look, players want to win. Players don't really care about you know setting up for the future or anything like that. Because quite frankly, you know, four or five of them might not even be there next year. So they they don't think about that. They they think about winning now and. And I think, you know, Jeff gauged that early, you know, that these guys were serious, that they were paying attention to detail, that they were playing a full 48 minutes. And, and you know, he has to adhere to his job description, and that is put these guys in the best possible position to win basketball games, and that's what he did. And they went out and they got it done, and they really fought to make the playoffs. This just wasn't something that they wanted to be in the, in the lottery. I mean, they really actually went down to the wire to try to get to the playoffs, and unfortunately they did not. But you have to applaud the job that everybody did from the front office all the way down to the players in terms of giving the fans what they want. And they gave them a very exciting season. And, you know, the Suns quickly turned into one of the most watched teams uh, during the course of the year. Absolutely. Um, you know. I, I, like I mentioned, and it, it's, it's it's sort of interesting. That I, I sort of compare this season the Suns had this year. I don't know if you remember, but if you remember Doc Rivers' first season as coaching the Orlando Magic, he had basically a team of journeymen. It was like Bo Outlaw, Darrell Armstrong, Ben Wallace, Chucky Atkins, a few others just that really are. Oh, I think Pat Garrity was on that team. And they... They were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league, 14, 15 wins, and they fought and they scrapped. I think they finished 41 and 41. And then everybody thought that, wow, this is going to be the team to look out for. They got all this cap space. They went out and they signed Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. They were supposed to be the next dynasty. And then it just sort of fell apart. So it will definitely be interesting to see where it goes from here for the Suns. Speaking of dynasties, um, well, I'm not sure if we can call the Miami Heat a dynasty. Are certainly our standards for Dynasties has changed um, as we've gotten older now. There's no more Celtics or Canadians or Yankees. But so Miami Heat down in five games. But you had some interesting comments um, that you said about LeBron James to our old Boston friend here on the Damon Amendolora. Um, talk to me about what you just, you know, elaborate more to your audience uh, what you said about LeBron. Um, obviously, to say that, you know, he, he plays the game the way it should be played is, is I mean, I think we can all say that, but talk to me about how, you know, he has a little more to deal with today than, say, the guys back in the 80s and 90s did. Yeah, you know, first I'll just say I'm, I'm a tremendous fan of his. Uh, and, you know, look, I was a player that, you know, I had to play the right way to be productive. You know, I had to use my teammates to get open. You know, I had to hope that somebody drew attention to themselves in order for me to get a good look. And so I always appreciated guys that tried to play the game the correct way. You know, Nate McMillan was probably the most unselfish basketball player I ever played with, he and Derek McKee. Uh, but Charles Barkley was extremely unselfish. Uh, and, and so those are the guys that come to mind for me, Mark Jackson. Uh, you know, is that they just played the game without any prejudice. If you were open, they got you the basketball. 
And I think, you know, LeBron James takes it to that level. He takes it to Magic Johnson level. I mean, he, you know, he just plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. And I'm just amazed that people want to still hold on to a blip in his life and his career and making a decision and leaving and, and talking about championships and all of this just to hold it against a guy that, quite frankly, if they were basketball players and they liked the score, that they would play with him in a heartbeat. Before they played with Jordan, before they played with Kobe, they played with him. Now, Jordan won championships, and he led his teams to championships, and, I mean, he was as, as nasty and committed as you can be on the basketball court. But if they won that title, it's going to be because it was everything was on his back, you know, and, and he was going to take a ton of shots. And if he's missing, he was going to take a ton of more shots, <laughs> you know. And so you tend to have to stand and watch. And if you're an offensive player, you say, no, I'd rather play with a Magic or a LeBron because I know if I run the court, I'll get the ball. If I'm open, he'll trust in me. And so from a basketball player's standpoint, you have to love it. And that's the way he plays the game. And social networking has made it tough on him. You know, people that really just want to be critical because they're not excited about their life and they feel they want to jump on an opportunity to jump on a guy. And that's what they do with this guy. Not one time off the court have we heard any transgressions in his life at all. His teammates love him. He's a tremendous leader. And despite the one mistake he made in announcing a decision on TV that he was leaving Cleveland, I can't really pinpoint anything else the guy has done. And so... That's my whole spill on it. I just think it's just amazing how people grab on to something and they run with it despite the guy being a tremendous guy and somebody that they would probably allow their kid to spend time with if he wanted to be a basketball player. Oh, I mean, it's very interesting how you mentioned the social media. I mean, like you said in in the interview you had, I believe, on, on CBS Radio, I mean, just imagine if, if social media was around when those guys played. I mean, people forget, I mean... Jordan, Magic, and Bird had plenty of transgressions throughout their career. I mean, we're here, out here in Boston. If I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but I believe it was during the 85 playoffs, Bird got in a fight in a bar and was hanging out with a guy who was, you know, an odometer fixer. You know, yeah. very shady character. But, you know, it just sort of, it's just, that 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 found its way in a blurb in the news and notes sections yeah, well, stuff at, at the away. end of August, you know, yeah. in, the, in the globe. But if that happened today, tw that would just dominate Twitter and and PTI and all those shows for days on end. I mean, so you're right. It's, it's very interesting that, I mean, I, I can see how some people think that LeBron James rubs people the wrong way in the sense that he's arrogant, but no, but I mean, no so, one's... But see, that, you know what's so funny anyways. about that? Yeah. You know what's so funny about that, though? And they say he rubs people the wrong way because he's arrogant. But a lot I of love, I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. You want to talk about arrogant? Oh, he was brutal. <laughs> he was brutal. I, I love Larry Bird. You want to talk about arrogant? I mean, he's one of the biggest trash talkers you ever want to play against. So it's, it's hypocritical. It's just, you know, it's just so hypocritical in the thought process. And like I said, it's because of social networking. It's because that people can hide behind their computer and make comments about somebody and they did about jordan i mean jordan seven years they labeled him selfish they said the bulls would never win and he just didn't have social networking to just build on it and multiply it and so that's something lebron has to deal with and because of that he's probably the most scrutinized athlete that we've ever going to see well hey who knows as, as technology continues to grow it it's <laughs> It's probably going to get worse. It's, I, I would think it's only a matter of time before we're going to have like a LeBron cam or, a, or an athlete cam where we're going to be able to see almost every move that these guys have. But, but in the same instance, it's made them a lot of money. Right. And it's made them very popular. So you got to take the, the bad with the good. And, right. and I think he does it very well. Yeah. So definitely we got to let you get out here on this. Um, you released a new book. Uh, I believe it came out last October. Um I know you know you're, you're first time author, but when I think of you as an author, I think of you as an author, one of the great playoff buzzer beaters in history. I believe that was at '97, I think it was. That shot is still in my mind. But so you wrote um, 
you big dummy, which I believe is your catchphrase. Could you just tell our audience just a little about you know your new book? Yeah, it's titled "You Big Dummy," and uh, it's an athlete's simple guide to a successful career. I came up with the title because I was in love with the show Sanford and Son, and Red Fox was the actor, and he used to always call his son "You Big Dummy," but it was a term of endearment; it wasn't a negative. And and really, what I'm saying is, you know, as, as athletes, as people in general, I don't care what kind of walk of life you're in, what kind of career choice you've made. You know, we all get into this as, as really dummies. And if you don't sit back and listen and learn and, and try to gain knowledge as you continue to go on your career, then you're going to have pitfalls. And I just talk about that in my book. And, you know, I, I want athletes and, and just young people in general, or even older people that's in leadership positions, to purchase the book because it just talks about just the simple things that you can do to just make sure that you don't fall to dummy stage. I mean, I have a fan page on my Facebook that, I mean, it's just getting ridiculous how many stories I write about on my fan page that talks about athletes making mistakes and just simple things, putting their hands on females, just, you know, like the guy, the wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, you know, can't put down drugs. I mean, it just goes on and on. AAU kids not understanding the game, playing selfish, you know, not making the right decisions to go to college, parents anointing their kids as pros before they even get to college. All the pitfalls that you have, entourages, bringing 20 people along with you as you try to start your career. Uh, these are the things that I talk about in the book, how you dress, how do you carry yourself. I don't know any general manager right now in the NBA that has a body full of tattoos and doesn't comb his hair. You know, and so these are the things that, you know, people and players in general need to grasp onto, and that's what I talked about. And I wrote the book as simple as I could. Uh, a middle school kid can read this book, and and people can purchase it on eddiejohnson8.com or go to Amazon as well, either one. And like I said, I tell parents, I think it's one of the best books they can get for their young kids because it's going to get them on a straight and narrow right away. So this book will be also be available in most bookstores like Barnes & Nobles? Uh, it's it's in some Barnes & Noble, but it, it, if people really want to get this, they'll go to my website. They can order it straight off of my website, eddiejohnson8.com, or they can go to amazon.com and purchase the book as well. All right. Well, Eddie Johnson, 17-year NBA veteran, now colored, current colored commentator for the Phoenix Suns for Fox Sports Arizona. Eddie, I believe you, I, we can follow you on Twitter at, is it JumpShot8? Yeah, at JumpShot8. You know, like I said, I'm one of the best jump shooters ever. I'll challenge anybody. Uh, <laughs> hey, you get that. Uh, uh, you can't argue after that shot I saw you hit against the Jazz. Unfortunately, that was what? That was only the second best buzzer beater in that series. Yeah, I know, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, right. Charles and Clyde Drexler didn't come together to switch off and allow one of the best clutch players oh, he was in, wide Bung, open. Bung in the game and John Stockton to bury us and send us home. Yeah, well, <laughs> to say that uh, the Jazz exploited the point guard matchup, though, in that series, the, the <laughs> start, yeah, I, I think I remember that. But, Eddie, it was great talking to you. Um, so we're going to... Get back together sometime down the road, and uh, we'll see what the Suns do, not just this season, but it's going to be a very interesting couple of months coming up here. Yeah, exciting part of uh, the NBA season to see who can retool their team. Thank you a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Eddie Johnson, Fox Sports Arizona. All right. So, great interview. Let's talk a little bit quickly about Phoenix. So, they made an incredible turnaround this year. They have, they're well above 500, and they still don't make the playoffs. That's something that was discussed by Eddie. I mean, how, how demoralizing is it to not make the playoffs after having such a good season? But how, how much potential is there for the Suns to really make a huge impact on the Western Conference this season, Nick? You know, it, it, the hard part, Jared, I'm going to totally divert that question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a Fox <laughs> News on you, buddy. Uh, to me, it's, it's, it's just so demoralizing not just to a fan base, but to a team, to have your franchise make such an unexpected, really, turnaround and not make the playoffs. And, yes, it speaks to the uh, talent and success of the Western Conference, but it also really speaks to the unbalance of power, the unbalanced power of the NBA. Uh, I don't want to get into a discussion about Adam Silver and what he's going to do about this, but really, Jared, I, I think it's it's really hurting the game. Well, you know, the thing is is that these periods kind of come and go. 
I mean, we had just never liked this. But like just a couple of years ago, though, people were saying that the center was a dead art in the NBA, and you and LeBron James is a powerful. Well, he is a powerful now, but they got rid of the center in the All NBA voting or uh, all, or the All Star voting, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, centers all the rage. You need a great center. You need a great rim protector. You know, there's there's a lot of ebb and flow in the NBA. There's probably never going to be a period in time in which the Eastern Conference, top to bottom, is deeper than the Western Conference. A lot of that just has to do with climate and just appealing places to live. I mean, that really, that really is part of it. And then a lot of it is luck as well. But, you know, the, the fact that the Minnesota Timberwolves, we're talking about them as like a team that couldn't make the playoffs. Kevin Love can't make the playoffs. They had a better record than several teams in the Eastern Conference that did make the playoffs. So, That's sad, yeah, so man. And, and, you got to frame you the conversation I- that way. Well, I understand too. I understand what you're saying about you know ebb and flow, and it comes and goes. I mean, but if you take that attitude, um, you it's not it's never been this much of a disparity. When I was growing up, the Eastern Conference was the powerhouse. I mean, if you look at it that way, you could say the Lakers were handed their championships because they walked through a weak Western Conference, but it was never as weak as it, as the Eastern Conference is right now. It's just. It's it's awful. Well, that was, it, it is not good for the game. That was before free agency exploded and choice over destinations. No, well, really celebrity celebrity over t- and 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 this is a whole other topic. I don't want to kill you with this, but my old school rants. But you know, celebrity and convenience and uh, you know status of where you're living has taken precedence over legacy in what franchise you work for. And what franchise you played? There was a time where people wanted to come to Boston. You were meant, you know. We talked to Ben Watanabe, and you, you mentioned Bill Walton, right? A man that did want to come to Boston and did for he a very brief period in time was a great part of Celtics lore. You know, so and I'm not just saying that about Boston. It, it is a common theme where great te- the Detroit Pistons. Who wants to go to Detroit? Well, you're not going to Detroit. You're going to Auburn Hills. You got to drive an yeah. hour to work every single day. <laughs> yeah. It's even worse. All right. Well, you. Uh, but you get my point. Yeah. Well, you plug Ben Watanabe. Let's go to him now. Uh, we talked about so many great things with him, but uh, let's just go right to him. Ben Watanabe, Neston.com, Celtics beat writer. All right. So we're here with Ben Watanabe, Neston.com, Celtics beat reporter host of the NBA Celtics podcast on Nesson.com, and I even got that backwards. It's the Celtics NBA podcast on Nesson.com. Ben, how happy are you to be here after that flub? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm very happy. I appreciate the plug. Um, I'm also kind of happy for a moment of, uh, I guess it's relative calm right now to be talking to you after what's been an insane day. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. So we're talking on Thursday, and a lot, a lot, a lot of news has been breaking on the NBA front, and and a lot of it touches on the Celtics front. Uh, The biggest story right now is Joel Embiid's stress fracture in his foot, and now all of a sudden the Celtics, who thought that they lost their shot at Embiid, are looking at a chance to potentially grab him. Do you, assuming that he has a stress fracture in his foot that's been successfully repaired, which, I mean, they always say he had successful surgery. I've never heard he had unsuccessful surgery. <laughs> they tried to repair his foot, and he died on the table. I mean, they We never, lost him. Yeah. We lost him. <laughs> but so, assuming that that doesn't happen, uh, would you trade for uh, – would you trade up to get him, or would you take him at six? What do you think is the best option there for the Celtics? Yeah, no, I'll, I mean, all joking aside, I mean, I, I do feel bad for Embiid. Uh, you know, this is obviously his, his second uh, – you know, not – debilitating injury but uh you know serious enough injury to affect his draft stock in a couple months um you know from the very beginning the back problem even though as you said he was given a clean bill of health by the the calves in his only workout it, it concerned me because not so much that, that the in, his injury itself was a, a severe one but because when you're talking about a guy who's more than seven feet tall and i think 265, uh, 265 pounds, every little bit affects the way that that massive body works. You know, every every little millimeter that that spine is out of whack and every tiny little pain in that foot that makes him, him walk, a, run a little bit differently in a game can have, a, you know, a massive domino effect on the rest of his body. And that's why, you know, even from the get-go, even before the, this foot injury, it, it really concerned me. And now when you add this, uh, I mean, he's definitely going to fall. Um, and and it, does, it does add a layer of intrigue, though, for the Celtics. I, I don't know... 
I don't know if the Celtics would love to have him, but I do know that if the Timberwolves would love to have him, <laughs> they would love to deal that pick. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, the thing, though, is that this is a stress fracture that they're catching now in the middle of the workout season before the draft. So it's possible that this happened while he was still playing in Kansas. It's possible that it kind of finally got to the fracture point during the workout session. Uh, but do you do you think that it could be potentially the extra work that he's getting during the offseason? Because the workouts that he's doing are probably a little bit more intense than the typical offseason workout regimen. So do, do you see that as potentially just it's it's a matter of overworking rather than a matter of structural a lack of structural integrity? But he hasn't really been overworking, has he? I mean, that's kind of my that, that's that's my worry is that you know he's been kind of a you know a one on zero guy. I think his Santa Monica workout was a solo workout, um, and as you said, it might have happened during the season. Um, but again, he hasn't played in several months. Um, so, did this happen during the season, or is this something that is that has happened in the off season that when he's been going, you know, relatively oh. lightly compared to a, to some of these other draft prospects? Well, the other the other thing too that you have to kind of worry about is the, even the transition for any college to NBA player with the volume of games, exactly, yep, et cetera. It, it's such you see it all the time. They 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 slack off and not slack off. That's a bad word. I'll edit that out, Jared. They kind of that you know they struggle to catch up to the NBA pace. And when you got a guy like Embiid who's you know coming in with an, a history of injuries and now another injury on top of that, it, it becomes duly concerning, uh, really. It's it's the fact – to me, it's his size. You know, it, we've seen guys – I mean, Michael Jordan came back from a broken foot and he was fine um, for the next, what, 15 years. Um, but when I look at, you know, Yao Ming was not fine. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez, no. you hope he's fine, but he, he didn't seem to be. Uh, you know – uh, uh, Big Z, uh, you know, Ilgasi. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about a, a, a human body that size, it's just tough when there is absolutely any weakness, any structural weakness whatsoever. Well, I mean, the, the most frightening thing about this is pretty much what Nick brought up is that Joel Embiid played one, what, 35, 40 game season or so. And that was one, and that caused all these issues to start occurring. But could you imagine when he's playing, playing every other day games yeah. a year, traveling constantly well, like that? It's a much different. Yeah, uh, let me add to that too, Jared. I mean, the, the college game is much less um, focal pointed on on one player too. So he's going to be facing not only more games, but also defenses that are revolving around him, which is going to be more strain on his body as well. So all that is really concerning. There's also something I can, if I can add to that, Nick, is there's also a lot more movement in the end yeah. require. I mean, people try like to say that, you know, it's college players, you know, they're more at whatever it is, but you know, in college, you can sit back in a two, three zone. You can do things in, in the NBA. You're always moving, whether it's la- you know, laterally across the court, whether it's up and down, mm-hmm. it's, you are always moving and there is no time to rest. If you, if you have any kind of pain. It can, I mean, I may just be an old school Celtics fan, but still, even with Sully, when you're talking back, it automatically brings shivers down an old school Celtics fan's spine because of Larry, you know. So you're looking at at this situation. I mean, guys, uh, Jared, throw it at you. I mean, what do you do if you're Danny Ainge in this situation? Give him a foot massage, see what happens. You're already doing that. You don't give a man a foot massage. (laughs) Well, Jared does. (laughs) Just see his suits. I mean, well, this is something that Austin Ainge brought up on Thursday is that one of the challenges with Embiid is that they weren't able to get him in for a medical evaluation, and now this happens. So they're pretty much taking a shot in the dark if they go after him. And pretty much every other team in the league after the top three, they're taking a shot at the dark on him. And that's that's the most concerning thing because – a lot of teams, they'll be able to do a medical evaluation on a guy with the red flag, but the Celtics aren't able to do that. The other teams out there aren't able to do that, and that's what put, puts his draft stock at such great risk. And usually if a guy has chronic injuries that you're aware of, it's most teams generally feel that a, you can't take a top-five pick on that guy unless there's nobody behind him. But this is a pretty good draft at the top, so there's enough talent up there that any of those top-five teams at least can say, you know what, we we got a potential all-star player right here. We don't need to take this huge risk. 
So it's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine any team in front of the Celtics taking him unless they get some sort of medical update that gives them more hope that he's not gonna. It's not gonna be chronic. Well, just look at last year. Uh, I mean, you know, Nerlens Noel was coming off of an injury, but his was, you know, much farther along in his recovery. I mean, I know, I know the recovery time for an ACL is, you know, a year better, but he. This was something that had happened months ago that teams were aware of. Uh, that they knew, you know, he was he was rehabbing, and he still fell to sixth. I mean, this is a, a boom one week before the draft. Uh, something that I, the history of it is even more worrisome at this at this point in, in history. Uh, you know, a broken foot uh, in a lot of ways is even scarier than a, a torn knee tendon, which is weird yeah. to think. Yeah. Um, but the the now. It, to me, I, I just think, given the history, I mean, Nerlens Noel fell to six. How far could Embiid fall? And the thing is, Noel fell to six with people assuming that he's going to just miss his rookie season and then come back from an ACL tear. Of course, it happened along the uh, in a similar time to when it happened to Derrick Rose, so that scares a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But generally, players have a good success rate of returning from ACL tears. And stress fractures and feet are probably the scariest injuries for centers. Yeah. And the, there's not really any, there's not much precedent for a center that had a foot stress fracture that came back from it. There is no good story. You're Bill, right. Bill Walton won six man of the year like a decade afterwards, or, or like mm-hmm. and then and and then spent the net and then spent the following two seasons on the bench playing two to zero games. Yeah. So it's just not a good story and. Uh, guys, I, I'm I'm always this would be the first draft really that I, you know you, you're paying attention in a long time as a Celtics fan. But I just have such little confidence in the draft the way it is, and because you don't know, there's so many unknowns with these players. They're unproven on the pro level, and then you you put in some really risky injuries. You know, if I'm Danny Ainge, I, I just it's a scary situation if you do go uh, the Embiid route. Well, the bottom line for me is that his talent is worth it. So if they if they have so was Greg Oden. Yeah, yeah. But you know if they have so was Sam Bowie. If they have reason to believe that he is going to have a career as opposed to being a Andrew Bynum or a Sam Bowie or a Greg Oden, then they should absolutely take him there. If they have reason to believe that he's never going to play really, then of course it's not the right move. But they're pretty they're pretty in the dark. If 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 I'm making the choice in the dark, I'm going for it. Hmm. Ben, what about you? Uh, you know, I, you on the spot, I was, I, I, I was one of the few people, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been well established that I, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but, um, <laughs> that's why you're here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I got to dumb down your show a little bit. Yeah, I, even before this, I, I think I was one of the few that didn't have him number one, just because again, that the back kind of worried me. Um, in, in a normal year, I think to echo your point from earlier, Jared, uh, in a normal year, I think I would still go with him at number six if he was available. You look at the Greg Oden year, and you look at six that year was uh, Yi Jianlan. The great Yi Jianlan. The great Yi Jianlan. <laughs> and, if, and if Greg Oden was available at that point, even knowing what you do now, I still think you take Greg Oden because yeah. you're like, we'll take that possibility <laughs> over anything. And we – and we could pronounce his name. <laughs> exactly. But this year, um, as you said, but this year when you have the possibility that an Aaron Gordon or a Marcus Smart uh, or Julius Randle could still – well, Julius Randle also has his own injury issues. But if one of those guys could be on the board at six, and they're a lot safer pick, I think I would go with uh, one of the other guys. All right, let's, let's take this into established players that we actually know what the heck they're like. Kevin Love – has been a nonstop story, and the story just keeps twisting and turning in the wind. Now the Warriors have this potentially great package to offer, uh, with centered on Clay Thompson, possibly including David Lee, possibly including Harrison Barnes. Possibly this isn't even offered by the Warriors, and this is something the Warriors aren't willing to do. It's it's really fun talking about hypothetical hypotheticals, uh, but. <laughs> I mean, the bottom, the bottom line is we've been going through a period in the NBA where draft picks are severely overvalued, and now you have an interesting juxtaposition where you're, it's where there's basically a battle between proven players like the Warriors could offer or the Nuggets could potentially offer, and then the Celtics who are really offering one, one uh, potential good player and then a slew of draft picks. So 
if you're if you're Flip Saunders, and I'm really sorry that you're Flip Saunders, but if you're Flip Saunders, <laughs> I'd gladly be Flip Saunders. Yeah, <laughs> he has a great Flip. wardrobe. He's he's very yeah. well compensated right now. Yep. Uh, he gets. I mean, he does have to live in Minneapolis. Yeah, and he does have to he does have to coach the Minnesota Timberwolves. I, yeah. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy, but. <laughs> What or Nick Gelso, but what? Thanks. Would you be more interested right now if you're a GM in a draft pick centered package or a player centered package? Well, I, I mean, I would be interested in the lower cost deal, but but yeah. that's the question: is you know the the Celtics having the best package or not having the best package is obviously a completely subjective uh, situation based on what the Timberwolves want. If the Timberwolves want low cost players some financial flexibility, draft picks, then the Celtics unequivocally have the best offer. But if, as Chad Ford indicates, they're telling different people they want different things. If they're telling someone over here they want established players, and they're telling someone over here they want draft picks, and they're telling someone over here that they want expiring con- like it, it depends on what they want. Um, and it, But if I'm them... The Celtics offer, and I hope I'm not just being, uh, you know, a little uh, what's it, Stockholm syndrome, um, because the Celtics <laughs> hold me, hold me uh, hostage for uh, eight months out of the year. Um, but I look at their combination of draft picks and of two young players in Solinger and Olenek that you can have under your control through 2017, and I think no more than around two million a year. Uh, I, to me, that's got to be the most impressive package compared to. I mean, come on, I, I mean, Carlos. Carlos Boozer, uh, you know, David Lee and Clay Thompson, who's going to be coming up for a, a new contract soon. Uh, you know, Kenneth Fareed. Um, it, how does that get you, how does that position your, you any better for the future? Well, you don't want to give Wilson Chandler $9 million a year? Uh, exactly. Well, what what would you pay Clay Thompson? How valuable do you think he is? Is he a $12 uh, million guy? Uh, I mean, it depends on how much he's willing to share with me. Um, of course. Because then I'd give him like $50 million. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Uh, that's it, an interesting, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, it's it's the Jeff Green phenomenon that, you know, if, if Jeff Green is making $5 million a year, you're probably saying he's he's a great steal. Uh, the fact mm-hmm. that he's making $9 million a year, it's, you know, he's one of, uh, he's an awful contract. I don't. I don't think that Clay Thompson is as close to being a max player as he thinks he is, or as maybe his dad thinks he is. <laughs> Who's apparently distraught over the idea of him going to Minnesota. Uh, ah, I mean, honestly, you, you, you were just bad-mouthing him over here. You and Michael Thompson, I think, are on the same page in that regard, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how sad would you be if you got traded to Minnesota? Uh, to make $9 million a year? Not that sad. Yeah, okay. me either. I could deal with it. Yeah, I'd go to I don't know. I'd go to Saskatchewan for <laughs> that, that half that. <laughs> okay, so, Saska- where is Saskatchewan? Uh, somewhere in Canada. <laughs> Canada. Yeah, I think it's in northern Alberta, right? Or Manitoba? Uh, I don't know. The Rough Riders are their CFL team. That's all. That's I know. right. Well, which Rough Riders is the question? There's two Rough Riders. There's two Rough Riders. I think there's the Vancouver Rough Riders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. <laughs> That's ridiculous. All right, we're leaving that. Third voice dropping CFL <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> Guys, you know how much of an Argonaut fan I am. Doug Flutie oh, for life, yo. So uh, okay, we talk about Kevin Love. That means we have to talk about Carmelo Anthony. That one I thought kind of died a little bit, and then Rajon Rondo went on Numbers Never Lie on ESPN as part of his grand tour of. Uh, Every, I guess every TV studio in America is trying to hit up now. And so he was, of course, repeatedly asked about the potential of playing with Carmelo Anthony. And he repeatedly said, I'm not trying to recruit Carmelo Anthony because that would be illegal. However, Danny Ainge should definitely go out and get Carmel- Carmelo Anthony. He was pretty <laughs> he was pretty clear that he's not going to say anything that's tampering. But, yeah, of course, why wouldn't I want to play with Carmelo Anthony? Now, obviously, anybody would be anybody would say that. Anyone would say, sure, why wouldn't I want to play with him? Uh, but do you think that if the Celtics can do the whole you know, fire sale to get, to bring in basically Mellow and Love, is that a is that a path worth pursuing? Is that a winning? Is that a championship ball club? If you have Kevin Love, Carmelo Anthony, Rajon Rondo, and then let's say they're able to sign Avery Bradley with the mid level and then trade for Omar Oshik with the trade exception for Pierce, is that a winning ball club there? Even if they have basically no bench, I mean, it's a winning ball club but it's kind of like asking you know if 
if uh, $100 bills start falling from the sky, um, you know, would our, our you know financial problems be cleared up? I don't, I just don't, I don't see any way of that happening. The, the hoops that they would have to jump through, the kind of the complicit deals that other teams would have to make to to free up the the payroll necessary to get both Love and Mello to me. It just seems so far outside the realm of possibility that I just I, I don't I don't even think the Celtics fans should get their hopes up about it. I, I do think that Kevin Love is still a it's still a reasonable reality, but I mean getting both I mean guys I mean you're still paying you know nearly twenty million for uh, you know Gerald Wallace and, and Jeff Green right mm-hmm. now, um, and I don't see anyone who's just going to take those guys from you. Uh, it just seems way way too complicated of a scenario for that to happen. So if you had to choose between trading for Kevin Love or Carmelo Anthony, which one would you choose? Hmm. Assuming you have such a great choice. If if I have the choice and I'm the Celtics, I think that I would go with Carmelo. Really? Wow. Give me 17 reasons why. 17 yeah, reasons. One for each title. 18. Well, yeah, 18. The reason that I would like Melo for the Celtics is because I think that if, if you say that you don't like Melo on the Celtics, then I think you're implying that you don't think much of Brad Stevens as a coach. Because I think that the problem with Carmelo Anthony in the years he's been bad is that he has been in a bad offensive system. Uh, and I look at him when he was good in Denver with George Carl, and he was really good. Uh, he could, I mean, he could score. He was a tremendous offensive rebounder. Uh, he knew what to do, and, and that was a team. I mean, you know, the Western Conference was tough at that time, and and the Nuggets were, you know, they weren't there, but they were, a, you know, a competitive team, and, and Carmelo was really good. And, and to me, I'm saying, if I'm the Celtics, Brad Stevens proved that he can win 25 games with that roster. Uh, I think if you have one of the better playmakers in the game in Rondo and one of its best scorers in Carmelo Anthony, um, you're in good shape. Uh, the, the the thing with Love, to me, is that he has won even less in his first few years with the Timberwolves than Anthony did in his first few years, few years with the Nuggets. Um, so, the, you know, the knock obviously against Anthony is you can't win with them, you can't win with them, blah, blah, blah. Um, well... Love hasn't exactly proven that you can win with him yet either. It's funny that you you mentioned Stevens because I look at the flip side of that, and I think that's a perfect reason why Danny Ainge doesn't bring Mello onto the Celtics. Not because he doesn't have faith in Stevens, but in the second year of what last year was pretty much training camp, <laughs> it was preseason for 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 Stevens. You know, in his second year having to deal with the locker room with Rondo and Mello. I mean, let's face it. How, you know, before Rondo even took the court last year, everybody in Celtics Nation was saying, "What's his attitude going to be? How is Stevens going to handle his 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 ego, his his mood swings, etc." So, I just think that if if Melo came to Boston and it did end up failing, you're looking at a, a a catastrophe that puts you sets you back again ten years, five years, eight years, and demoralizes the fan base. I, you know, that's just my opinion. And, uh, Jared, go ahead and disagree with me. Well, I hear a lot of tickets being sold right now that you're ignoring. Well, right, but we also know that uh, uh, I, I think our ownership group has enough money that uh, they can, they you know, not sell out. They sold out last season a good portion of the games. You guys were there. So they claimed. <laughs> well, I know it looked empty, but I, I, I'll tell you what, not to change the topic, but, you know, the fans were excellent last year. Oh, absolutely. Now, here I have a question for two, you know, credentialed reporters here. How long before the Garden Faithful is not patient anymore? How many more losses does it take, or how many, you know, does this season, if it ends up that this season coming up is not what fans expect, is there that type backlash? Are we going to hear, you know, MVP chants for LeBron like we did for Kobe? Um, Well, there is. You know, the first year, like you said, it, it's kind of a it is kind of a mulligan because you know a lot of those season ticket holders probably renewed last June before sure. draft night, <laughs> before yeah. before the the yeah. hammer came down. Um, so they they probably are 
I would be interested to see what the box office over there at the Garden is is looking like if people are holding off and waiting to see what this team does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, to me, Carmelo Anthony, the, the ceiling that you can go with a guy of his caliber in the East is just a, a bit higher than Kevin Love. And I could be completely wrong. I know Kevin Love is much younger um, I know he's for now at least much more affordable, um, but I, I, I guess I just don't hate Carmelo as, lot, as much as a lot of Celtics fans do. <laughs> well, I'm one of them. The funny thing is, I'm someone that is that I'm not a Carmelo Anthony fan, and it, it, the only reason is just because I hate players that take shots when they shouldn't, and Carmelo Anthony abuses that nearly as badly as Russell yep. Westbrook. And th- those are guys that they'll take. I mean, how many times do we see Carmelo Anthony in the last two years come into the Garden and go eight for twenty-seven and stuff like that? There's nothing more destructive that destroys the flow of your offense and the continuity of your team throughout the game than a guy that goes eight for twenty-seven. So I would rather have Kevin Love just because of that regard, and because Kevin Love can do two. Th- I mean, there's basically three phases of the game: there's offense, there's rebounding, and there's defense. And he can cover you in two of those areas where Carmelo Anthony, well, although he is a very good rebounder for a small forward, I don't think he really takes over the game in any way except for scoring the ball. And that tends to happen in sports with him. And the, prob- the problem there is that like in this, this idea of them getting Rondo, Kevin Love, and Carmelo Anthony, there's not a single player there that really plays defense. And that means that they have <laughs> to get two really good defenders yep. to fill out the starting lineup in that that uh, hypothetical that I put out there of Oshik and Bradley, that would solve that because you're getting, in that idea, two of the elite defenders in the league. But as you mentioned, they would have to have everything go right in their in their transactions to be able to pull that off, and that's extremely difficult to pull off and fairly unlikely. So if they if they even were to build that kind of big three, none of those guys are two-way players. Even though Rondo once was nearly defensive player of the year, his defense has completely taken a nosedive over, over the past couple of years. Uh, he's, he doesn't even get a ton of steals like yep. he used to, but his consistency on, on ball defending the pick and roll, it's, it's fairly non-existent at this point. This is a problem that Celtics would really love to have, though, to have to decide oh, between Anthony problem. and Love. Yeah. We're just here to, so, to solve all the great problems in life. I mean, that's right. what the show is exactly. for. <laughs> okay, so Ben, we we got to get going. Uh, plug your stuff. Host of the Celtics NBA podcast on Nesson.com, Celtics beat writer for Nesson.com. Anything else you want to tell us about what you got coming up on the podcast? Oh, uh, you know, we're actually to to be completely honest, we talked about a lot of the same stuff we talked about here today. Um, <laughs> a little bit of love, but we I, we actually touched on on some more draft stuff too, and how the Embiid uh, situation changes things for the Celtics. Um, but yeah, definitely check go go over to Nesson.com. Uh, check out everything. You can also follow me on Twitter at Benji Ballgame. Great. Ben, our, our, your, your podcast on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, it's uh, well, it's on, yeah, it's on it's on SoundCloud. You can also just go to the website and uh, you know download download it. There's a podcast page there. Ben, pleasure having you on, man. Jared, what a great discussion with Ben Watanabe, Nesson.com, Celtics beat reporter. And our interview today, discussion with Ben, is brought to you by the YouTube channel, Jared. And and, and we all know you kind of dominate the YouTube channel during the NBA season. It's unique because it features full-length, uncut, locker room videos of interviews with the players and coaches from TD Garden for Celtics and Bruins games. So Celtics fans, go over to YouTube.com slash CLNS Radio and subscribe today. All right, Nick, let's go around the NBA. Today's Around the NBA is brought to you by, hey, my show, The Garden Report. Look at that. All right, so what's what's your first question for me? Jared, Jared, will the Miami Heat be dismantled? We see all over the news that Pat Riley is kind of, as much as he begged them to come there, He's now begging them to stay the course, stay pat, and don't leave. Nick, Nick, don't be ridiculous. They don't have the flexibility to drop one of these guys and go for another. They know they've got a really good core there. The biggest problem for them was that LeBron James did not have the support they needed top to bottom. And, you know, Dwayne Wade is still a good enough player that you're going to put your faith in him. And Chris Bosh, while he did disappear a a bit in the finals, he was pretty good for that entire playoff run and that entire uh, season. So I've got faith in both of those guys. 
they might have made a mistake in amnesting Mike Miller there, but they have the mid-level that they can work with. They've got some exceptions they can work with. They need to bring in another good player. There's no need to dismantle this team yet. Get rid of them! Okay, well, one player that's not going anywhere is Kawhi Leonard, the NBA Finals wow. MVP, one of the great ascending players in the league. Nick, where do you rank him in the NBA now? Oh, my gosh, Jerry. Probably top 10. Really? I wouldn't know. Yeah, you you think he's too low or too high? I think that's a way too high for him. I think he's probably entering the top 20, but that's a lot of, oh, a lot of elite all-NBA players you're putting him ahead of right now. He's as good as a... He could be as good as it gets all around as a player, but... I don't know if I'd put him in the top ten already. Love the guy, Kevin Durant type, and uh, he's a likable guy. Does that make him a top ten NBA talent? Oh, in my book, it does, because I'm rooting for him. And while we're on the Spurs, let's stay right there, Jared. Here's our third topic of the NBA in five, and that is Coach Popovich, Tim Duncan, five NBA titles. Where do they rank? Are they the best player-coach duo in NBA history? Well, they've got two guys ahead of them. There's Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, but then number one is the guys that won nine titles in their ninth season together. Uh, it was Bill Russell, and it was Red Auerbach. I mean, that's the greatest duo in sports history, really, in American sports history. You just they were they got pretty much all of them. All right, so topic number four: Ray Allen. Is he going to retire, Nick? I think Ray is in a good enough shape to stay. Come back another another year. The question, Jared, is do back to our first topic. Does the Miami Heat stay intact and de- defend their title? If so, Ray Allen is back with this team next season. If not, he probably starts planning his political campaign up in New England. Ray Allen was made to be a politician. Well, Senator Allen, I think, has enough left in the tank that he could do one more season. But beyond that, it's pretty unlikely. But, you know, he's just one of those guys that he can hang around as long as he wants because he works for it and he keeps himself in shape. And he's, he's I mean, the amazing thing about Ray Allen is that we're not talking about an injury ending his career. We're talking about just whether or not he wants to keep going. And he's he's getting really close to 40. So you got to give him credit for just the perseverance and the consistency that he has shown throughout his NBA career. A testament to what hard work, great work ethic, diet, all the whole stuff Hulk Hogan was preaching to us when we were kids. (laughs) Ray Allen's been doing it, doing it well, and it's paying dividends now. Jared, you have been setting the fashion standard on the CLNS YouTube channel for three years now, as you are always donning a designer suit. Well, the last topic today for the NBA in five is a fashion topic, yes, related to the NBA. The, the, the Hornets have changed their uniforms once again, looking more of a retro feel. What are your thoughts? I mean, the Hornets had one of the great jerseys in sports history before, and they're bringing it back with a modern iteration. It's very sleek. It's very cool. It's got that classic, uh, it's got the classic color scheme that everybody loves. i got to break out my starter jacket and be rocking Hornets gear for the rest of the season. <laughs> I love it. And- yeah. As we're we're now going back, uh, in, we're in the off season, obviously, and and we're going to be heading into, believe it or not, summer camp soon. You may run into Rajon Rondo, Jared, and I think that's a good question for Rondo. What are his thoughts on the Hornets' uniforms? Being he is such a fashion consultant these days. Hey, the Hornets are looking for a point guard possibly to go with Kemba Walker. Maybe he'll be rocking those uh, those really really sleek unis sometime soon. <laughs> Jared. Uh, it was a lot of fun today. The Celtics postgame show, everybody, it will be back next season, so we want to do want to drop that line and also remind the listeners about June 26th. Tune in to the podcast here on CLNS Radio where we will be doing our draft uh, coverage. We'll also have the YouTube channel pumping as Jared will be pumping out the Garden Report. And don't forget the free NBA draft viewing party for CLNS Radio and Beats and Eats, hashtag Day of Discovery. That's what it is, Marriott Renaissance, global day of discovery as CLNS Radio takes over their lounge for an NBA Boston Celtics draft viewing party. All right, that's it for this episode of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astra Beck, and Steph Legrato. Please be sure to follow us on social media. My Twitter handle is at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss and Nick. I am CLNS underscore Nick. Our, our Twitter handle for the show is Celtics underscore Beat. 
You can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Also, you can like the Garden Report on Facebook as well. And then like to thank just our great guest today, Eddie Johnson from Fox Sports Arizona, Ben Watanabe from Nesson.com. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago. For our executive producer, Larry H. Russell. My co-host, Nicholas Gelso. I'm Jared Weiss. We'll see you next Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio. Good afternoon, all.